Welcome to AZMCast, a peer-reviewed, evidence-based podcast, heavily seasoned with expert opinion. For all you new listeners, I'm going to give you a quick tutorial on how to use this podcast to its fullest potential. For you faithful veterans, you can go ahead and skip ahead to the good stuff. As you listen to this podcast, you'll hear contributors give opinions on everything from practice styles to diagnostic evaluations to emergency medicine philosophy. When you hear the bell ding, that means that the opinion is backed by evidence. Check your screen on your device to see the reference paper, and we suggest taking a screenshot for future reading. When you hear the turkey gobble, that's just our opinion, and you can decide whether you want to take it or leave it. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the May episode of AZMCast. I hope you're adjusting to the new normal, both in and outside of medicine, which are honestly really tough to separate right now. In Tucson, we are seeing the return of the heat, the allergies, and the ED frequent flyers, and it's really nice to see some people you recognize. And nothing says the ED is returning back to normal like the headache patient. Now, we've all dealt with headaches ourselves, and I've often wondered how bad a headache would need to be to send me to the emergency department. But once the patient gets to us in the emergency department, what are we going to do? Do we line them? Do we lab them? Do we scan them? Or do we just drug them? There are many approaches to this one complaint. So to give you three of those many, Brian, Chris, and myself are going to discuss our approach to the headache patient in the ED. So draw your shades. Put on your sunglasses for this month's episode of AZMCast. Two people walk into a bar, the third one ducks. Uh, that's, uh, a good, <laughs> that's a great that's headache. That's a traumatic too. headache. Brian, <laughs> we're doing a traumatic headache. Uh, like, no, I'm tired. I don't feel like it headache. Uh, um, all right, so we're going to talk about headache this month. Um, headache is, we just got done talking about procedural sedation for like six months and I like procedural sedation because it's you get to do your own thing and there's not a whole lot of guidelines and constraint on what you do. It's an art. It is. It's yeah. not like you're you're painting you're with painting medicine. Yeah. You know, good. and headache I feel very similar about. I feel like you are painting with, uh, you're creating a work mm -hmm. of art that's going mm -hmm. to take away someone's excruciating vice like headache. Yeah. Um, Everyone has a cocktail, right? Mm -hmm. It's not yep. give this meds, it's give the cocktail. Well, what's your cocktail? It's right. very personal. Yeah, there is no, if, if there was one, uh, Chad Viscusi likes to say this about cough syrup. He goes, if there was a cough syrup that worked, there would be one. That's there wouldn't right. be a whole aisle of right. all these different cough syrups. There would be one. If there was something that worked for a headache, there would only be one thing, you know? Well, uh, there but, is, but the FDA got in the way. But. No, no, okay. We'll, yeah. we'll get to that later. Hashtag repair it all. <clears throat> so, uh, so we're going to talk about our approach to headache patients because it is such a common thing that we will see. It's something that has, it, it's not without high risk, but man, the majority of the headache patients I see are like, they're migraine, cluster headache, tension headache, kind of gen generic stuff. And it's so generic, it's, I would say I see far less bad outcomes from headache than I do from chest pain or abdominal pain. Would you agree? Agree. Yeah. 10% of all ED visits is headache related. How many of those do we end up diagnosing, you know, like meningitis or cancer? 
So or be, working up significantly. Yeah. Rarely. Right. Yeah. Right. So because of that, you've got a complaint that's in front of you every single shift and you treat it however you're going to treat it and you don't even think about it. That is a setup to miss something bad. Mm -hmm. And so it, you're seeing this all the time, all the time, all the time. And it's never anything bad until that one time it is. Mm -hmm. So a headache is an interesting one because I think you just have to give yourself a mental checklist to say that it's not something bad. And we had the discussion before we started recording, what are the bad things that you think about before you go into a room? You see headache, you haven't seen the patient yet. What things are running through your mind of, I have to make sure it's not this? So I have eight things that I comment on. Um, the first two are, Aaron's using his seven fingers to count. You can't see because it's a podcast, if you didn't know. That was obvious, right? So uh, I, the, the two first that I do are trauma-based, so subdurals and epidural hemorrhages. Um, so the questions for me I'm asking... Look for signs of trauma. Was there abrasions, falls, uh, more cautious and elderly and drunks than the general normal? I walk in, I have a headache, I have my sunglasses on. Most people know if they fell or hit their head at some point. But those are two you should always think about because they may require an operation, which is in uh, the surgical emergencies that you should know about. Um, the next two I put lumped together are the infectious. So for me, meningitis or encephalitis. Um, looking for meningitis, you know, headache, fever, neck pain, neck stiffness. Uh, if they're arranging their neck, they don't have a fever, um, they don't look toxic, they probably aren't going to get in a needle in the back for meningitis um, unless they had some super immunocompromising condition. And encephalitis, if they're not febrile or confused, they're probably also not going to get a needle in their back for the cause of their uh, headache. Um, the next thing, too, that I, I think about are kind of the weird ones, uh, and these are glaucoma and temporal arteritis. <clears throat> Why? I just want to make sure that I'm, you know, I looked at their eyes and actually paid attention to their eyes and, you know, check the pupil. So to me, it's a check because you hear headache, they have the sunglasses on, you don't always take off their glasses, and maybe behind the glasses there is something that you're missing. And then temporal arteritis also seems to run in the same kind of population that mm -hmm. headache patients do. So I ask about jaw claudication, pain. I palpate their um, temporal artery on all my headache patients. It's one of the places I push uh, to see if there's any tenderness. Now, are any of these able to rule them out? No, but to me, it's decreasing the probability if I can get all of those lower. So I'm a fourth year medical student possibly a brand new emergency medicine intern, and I say, sir, do you have jaw claudication? Exactly. <laughs> or do you, and when they you say, have your headache, do your temples yeah. hurt? That's what, and I always hear, like, well, they say they've got really bad temporal pain, and then I pushed on it, and they said it hurt. So can, what are you looking for? Can you for? expound, what exactly do you ask? Yeah, so I ask, like, if they can't finish a meal because they're chewing and it hurts too much. Um, and so that's one of the questions I ask. I'm like, no, I can chew gum, I'm okay then I, I leave it alone. Um, I push specifically over the artery and feel the artery and not just the temporal. Everyone could use a nice temporal massage. Mm -hmm. I think we would all feel better and our headaches would go away. But I try to push in that area and then I push in a different area. And I'm looking for some tenderness. Uh, if it's in both places, over the temporal artery and the temporalis muscle, 
I would not think it's temporal arteritis. Bilateral but temporal arteritis. Correct. Case report. <laughs> Diffuse. <laughs> Always think case report. <laughs> um, and then the last two uh, that I think about are a, uh, a tumor or a cerebral ven- or excuse me, a subarachnoid hemorrhage or a cerebral venous thrombosis. Tumor I usually don't because they're going to have to give me something other than just a headache for tumor um, for me to want to image you. But those are the other two I think about, and to be honest, I'm looking for neurologic findings, neck pain, neck stiffness. We talked about subarachnoid uh, hemorrhage before, and cerebral venous thrombosis. You know, you're going to have to have some historical procoagulation, birth control pill, female, uh, well, hopefully no male on birth control pill, but, you know, they could be. Um, I like to put my son on it right now. He's a teenager. So. <laughs> <laughs> Estrogen only. Um, and... But they should have some continued neurologic symptoms or something else other than a headache. You know, if it's just a headache and nothing else, the chance of me thinking that cerebral venous thrombosis is probably pretty low. They're going to have to have something else. So those are the eight things I think about and how I ask my questions to kind of rule those out. So you walk into the room with a headache patient and all signs are pointing to this is benign, but you're trying to go through this mental checklist. We've spent, what, five minutes talking about this. How long do you spend in the room asking those questions? Two to three minutes. Two to three minutes. And that's you're, you're asking questions while you're palpating, while yeah. you're looking at their eyes just for obvious signs of yeah. injection. Yeah, this yeah. is really fast. This is not a hard thing to do. You can have them range their neck. Hey, can you move your head side to mm-hmm. side? You know, yeah, I think these are easy things to do. I, I agree, Chris. This is not a 20-minute dizzy exam. Yeah. You know, this is pretty fast. So uh, the one thing that I'll add with something like brain tumor, I think most of the stuff that you've got there, subarachnoid hemorrhage, glaucoma, temporal arteritis, uh, meningitis, these are all going to be fairly acute things. Brain tumor is the one thing that I'm thinking about a lot because I see a lot of children, and it's the one insidious thing uh, that might come up. And, you know, when people tell me they have a migraine, that has been an appropriated word uh, into layperson speak that just means I have a really bad headache. So do you have migraine headaches? Oh yeah, oh totally. How often do you get migraine headaches? Uh, This is my first one. Mm -hmm. So I get that a lot. So with something like, uh, when I'm walking into a room, I'm trying to ask them uh, some of the historical things that will point me toward uh, one of these other bad diagnoses. So brain tumor is the one insidious one. I think everybody gets a little concerned about the person who was, uh, you know, doing squats at the gym and suddenly had this sharp pain that was tearing down their neck. It's like, oh, well, that sounds awful. Someone who comes in obtunded and they're febrile, we're not going to be like, gee, I wonder if this might be a complex migraine, you know. Uh, But brain tumor kind of sticks out to me. Um, There is a population in uh, southern Arizona it actually comes you can trace it back to one family in Sonora, Mexico that has a condition called a cavernous hemangioma they are born with these malformations and they are uh, vascular malformations and they will without really much impetus just bleed Hmm. and you have somebody who's had these slow growing vascular tumors that will suddenly bleed on you and I've seen three or four of these I've caught four other ones that uh, did not bleed. And I was like, hey, you probably need to go get this checked, uh, you know, see what we can do for it, or at least know that this is something bad. 
So I will ask a little more about some of the danger signs for brain tumors, um, and that is uh, if they've got headaches that uh, cause them to vomit, they get better with vomiting. That's a sign of increased intracranial pressure that's getting better. Uh, if you've got headaches that wake you up in the middle of the night, I get very concerned about that. Mm -hmm. And then there's actually a set of guidelines that were uh, suggested by uh, a team of neurosurgeons and uh, pediatric oncologists to primary care physicians. And they said, you should consider imaging for a headache that has lasted longer than, they say, four weeks. And they say vomiting lasting longer than two weeks. Um, and then, of course, focal neurologic signs and all that other stuff. But frankly, I think that anybody could pick up a brain tumor once you've got focal neurologic signs. Mm -hmm. Our goal is to pick it up before you get focal neurologic signs, and they go, yeah, there's nothing more we can do about it. So I've extrapolated that personally to say not four weeks of headache, but two weeks of headache in a kid, that's odd. Um, I tend to look at, uh, scan those kids a little more readily. And then vomiting for greater than a week. You've tried some Zofran, it's not getting any better, you're still puking, you don't have any of the other systemic symptoms, you know what, you're getting a scan. I gotta make sure it's not that. Uh, the last one was children under uh, four and younger that complain of a headache. Uh, those are kind of concerning signs to me that maybe it's worth doing a scan for you that you might have something done. There, there are some kind of bad conditions that we in emergency medicine, this, the standard of care is to miss, and classically cancer is one of those. So um, if someone comes in and they have cancer, but we work up their pain or syndrome and we don't find anything wrong and miss cancer, I don't consider that an emergency miss. And, um, uh, you know, occasionally I've heard about cases that have bounced back where there has been a headache that I have seen and they have later come back and been found to have a brain tumor. That should give you pause. It gave me pause, it gives me pause. And I go back and I make sure that, did I do a slipshod exam? Did I not do a good exam? And sometimes the answer is, is I didn't do a good exam. Most of the time it's been, no, honestly, I can't justify changing my practice and imaging everybody because I missed a, a tumor. And this person that wasn't showing me any evidence of a tumor other than a headache that I treated and it got better. Yeah, if they have a headache for a couple of days, I mean, and you're looking for a tumor, that's, yeah, I agree with Aaron, like two, four week mm -hmm. history of a headache is reasonable, you know, and it, um, but to do it after like two days of headache, that I think that if you miss on that, I don't think someone's going to come after you per se. Yeah. You know, <laughs> at the same time, sometimes I will get a baseline CT scan in some headache patients oh, yeah. mm -hmm. because they have not been seen and followed. Yeah. And so what is that looking for? Well, maybe they got a normal hydropressure cephalus or something else going on. But to have a baseline scan, they've never been in the system, I think is reasonable, yeah. right? It's the seventh time they've appeared for a headache and no one has ever imaged them. And it's been four years since these intermittent times. I don't think that's unreasonable uh, to do that. Does every first-time headache get it? No. But, you know, in patients who seem to have recurrent headaches, I think a baseline CT is not an unreasonable thing Agreed. to start with. Yep. Um, so, you know, who do we work up for this? I, I think it's high-risk factors for the things that Brian brought up. And so your high risk for meningitis uh, that 
needs to be a little more thoroughly looked at is going to be uh, someone who maybe has a poor immune system or has indwelling uh, technology. We have, uh, and, and this is one that gets overlooked a lot, cochlear implants. Mm-hmm. Um, that is drilled into the base of your skull and you've got a foreign material there. So those patients are at higher risk for meningitis. Um, you've got patient, uh, uh, you've got uh, cerebral venous thrombosis, which is one that we all just discussed of, you know, it's out there, it's scary, and who do we actually have to look for in these patients? There was an article in New England Journal of Medicine that was referenced um, in uh, some guidelines that say that your odds ratio goes up quite a bit, uh, I think to 22, mm-hmm. uh, if you are on OCPs. But does that mean that all patients with OCPs need a workup for a cerebral venous thrombosis? Brian shakes his head no. No. no you got to have something else. No. And, and then we, like, we, like we talked about when, when we were learning about this, uh, this paper, most of these patients are probably getting their, their CBT looked for because they're on OCPs. Mm-hmm. Well, what about all those other patients that are a little bit older or not on OCPs that we didn't check the CBT for? Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, they really say it's all the same Verkaus triad, it's stasis, it's hypercoagulability, and it's in endothelial injury. So really your highest risk patients are those that have uh, procoagulant stuff, antiphospholipid antibodies, and protein C and S deficiency, and all those other strange things. They're at much higher risk. But I like the way that this article uh, uh, that was put out by uh, AHA said it of uh, that the real... Uh, mechanisms that you're looking for are going to be those that cause increased intracranial pressure or those that cause uh, ischemic stroke-like injuries. So, I mean, those are the ones that are going to be debilitating. Um, Those are the ones that I really want to see. So if you've got stroke-like symptoms and I don't see anything on your CT, you bet I'm going to get an MRI to see if you've got a stroke. And if I happen to find a CVT, I go, oh, huh, interesting. If you've got uh, symptoms of increased intracranial pressure. You've got bad headache that's worse when, uh, that's made better when you vomit. Uh, it wakes you up in the middle of the night. Some of those increased ICP type symptoms, I'm gonna get a negative CT and go, man, but you still look rough. You should probably get that MRI. It's not really for that patient that's uh, on their phone saying, yeah, I'm still at a 10. Mm-hmm. All right, and then uh, we talked about subarachnoid hemorrhage uh, last year. If you all are interested in hearing a rousing discussion about subarachnoid hemorrhage, you can listen to the July episode from 2018. Um, But really, these are the big bad things. I honestly, uh, because again, I see mostly like 21 and under, but when I'm on the adult side, I kind of say the same thing. I go, the things I'm worried about in you right now as I'm talking to patients are brain tumor, Bleeding in your brain, infection of your brain, and you don't really have any of those. So, and they usually I, agree with you. They're yeah, like, well, yeah, yeah. I, know, I know I didn't have that. Some, sometimes you have to remind people mm-hmm. that they're in the emergency department. Yes. Say so what? Well, no, I don't have those things. Okay, good, because this is the emergency department, and that's where I start. Well, I learned from Aaron Lindleach long ago <laughs> that one of the reasons people come to the emergency department is for an explanation, diagnosis, and sometimes they just need to be told because they've never been told you have migraines. Or they're there for treatment, for relief, and that's okay. So I, I think in justifying why you're not doing a bigger workup, and sometimes patients need that justification, you say what Aaron said. But in addition to that, what I try to lead them to saying is, but I know you really came here because your headache's so bad, and I'm totally happy treating that. We'll get that going. So uh, one, of my, one of the ways I try to combat the, well, you're not doing any workup, 
is a full neuro exam because there is nothing like the show of medicine. The art of medicine and the science of medicine are great, but man, the show of medicine. And it is medically indicated. And I can do it all on my iPhone now. It's amazing. It makes Shri- cool beeps and sounds. Shrikar, will, uh, uh, Shrikar would kill me about this, but there's a lot of the show of medicine and ultrasound as well. Like, wow, look at your heart beating. That's pretty cool, huh? You feel better? So do I. Why don't you go home? Um, but like it's indicated to do a neuro exam on a, on a uh, headache patient. And as Brian alluded to, it will bite you if you don't do a neuro exam on a headache patient because you're going to miss some stuff. You didn't look at the eyes and realize that one of them is deviated outward. <laughs> you, know? right. uh, you didn't uh, examine uh, the temple you know, and miss that it's temporal arteritis. Those are big deals. So a really thorough exam shocks patients Sometimes it's like, wow, no one's ever done all that for me before. Don't you see a neurologist? Yeah, but they've never done all that for me. They just looked at my MRI. Uh, But my approach is I talk to them about it. I say, have you been diagnosed with migraines before? Yes. Great. Do you see a neurologist? No. Okay. Are you on any medicine for migraines? No. Um, And then I, I do my neuro exam. And I explained to them, you know, you don't have any signs of bleeding. You don't have any signs of, of uh, a brain tumor. You don't have any signs of meningitis because those are the three things patients see on Google. Uh, and so I say, you don't have any of those. So now my goal is to, is to get your headache feeling better. All right. That's going to be my approach. But we talked about some of the dangerous stuff. Uh, what about some of the lesser things that you can get better uh, that will cause headache? Um, some of those kind of outlier things, like um, a big one for me, living in Tucson, dehydration. dehydration. That's a big one. Everybody's dehydrated. Yeah. You give them a couple liters of fluids, they're like, man, I don't know, life could feel this good. Mm-hmm. Um, hypoglycemia, or you know, the hypoglycemia that patients self-diagnose themselves right. well, which is sometimes with the glucose of like 500. I believe the yeah. I believe the new word is hangry. Ooh, yes. hangry. Hangry will give you a headache. Hangry hangover. Yeah. Uh, and then caffeine headache, the mm. bane of my existence. Man, <laughs> coming off of caffeine. Uh, you got to taper. Oh, you got to taper. I, I, I don't Shop have. espresso before bed helps you taper down. I don't have <laughs> enough time in my day to taper, man. That would take me a month and a half to taper <laughs> off of caffeine. Uh, but that caffeine headache is strong. And people don't realize what is, how much caffeine is in the stuff that they drink. It goes down so easy with Starbucks and um, all of those energy drinks. Uh, they... They really make them tasty so that uh, you can get maximal caffeine, get your palpitations in, and then you decide you can't take it for a while, you get a crazy caffeine withdrawal headache. Do you drink caffeine? Uh, yes. Yeah. Tea and soda, but no coffee. Ah, okay. So you're not an excessive caffeine intaker like me. No. I've just discovered so. yerba mate. Mmm. Yeah. Mm. That'll get your PVCs going. <laughs> Um, hypertension, absolutely. Like, oh man, I don't know why my head hurts. It's like, well, your blood pressure is 180 over 110, so that'll do it. And that becomes a chicken egg thing. And we always are asking, you know, should we treat the hypertension or the headache? I think 95% of us say, well, let's treat the headache and see what happens to the pressure. Yeah. But they, they do correlate. And, and, um, a lot of patients, especially ones who have had problems with hypertension before and they have cuffs at home, you can ask them. Have you noticed a direct correlation like when your pressure's up, your headache's up? And do you ever have times when your pressure's up and you don't have a headache or have a headache and your pressure's not up? And uh, I've had quite a few patients say, no, actually, they're completely correlative. Well, you know, I have occasionally just treated the pressure more just for fun, just to see if I can get their headache to go away. It does work frequently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, because that's on your spectrum of hypertensive emergencies. Yeah. You know, what's yeah. your what's a hypertensive urgency? It's uh, a, somebody with bad hypertension that you really want to admit. <laughs> and so, <laughs> it's like, just you're, you're feeling chest pain, aren't you? And there? just to be clear, headache is not evidence of end organ damage. No. Correct. So that is not an emergency. Just so everyone's clear. Yeah. So, uh, but the end organ damage you would see would be stroke, stroke or bleed, and you're probably uh, to prevent yeah. that. So yep, it change would be in mental status from hypertension. STEMI from or end STEMI, uh, signs of kidney dysfunction, all those tiny arteries and capillaries that you really want to keep protected. Um, the big one that I always forget about living in sunny Tucson is carbon monoxide poisoning. And so it, being that I live in Tucson, believe it or not, it does get cold here every once in a while. It gets down to 20 uh, and the first time your heater has to really work hard in Tucson, um, it, you find it doesn't work at all. And so I've had patients come in on the very first cold day of the year with pretty significant carbon monoxide exposure wow. because we don't think about that. Uh, so if you're in a place where you have lots of cold weather, you're like, well, yeah, of course, carbon monoxide exposure. If you've got somebody who was uh, trying to commit suicide with their car on inside a poorly ventilated room, yes, carbon monoxide poisoning. But it might be someone that just has a headache mm. and <clears throat> they get some vomiting, they just feel achy, and then they go to work and they feel fine, but man, they come home and they feel terrible again, again. Yeah. because the treatment for carbon monoxide get away from the carbon monoxide, and then you feel better, but then you expose yourself again. So that's one you might want to stick out. That is a dangerous one, obviously, but it's not super common. Mm -hmm. It's one of those you want to think about when you're thinking through headaches, like, could this be carbon monoxide poisoning? No, it's not carbon monoxide poisoning. <laughs> but having said that, I miss carbon monoxide toxicity on a friend of mine who called and said I'm having these crazy symptoms and my roommates have it too and we're throwing up. I was like, ah, it's probably something you ate, whatever. Wow. Uh, okay, well, your uh, Charity, your wife, told me to call you and just see. I was like, oh, that was nice. So I called my wife, and she goes, so do you think it's carbon monoxide poisoning? And I go, yes, I do. Now <laughs> I do. Thank you, labor and delivery nurse wife, for saving my emergency department, but yet again. Um, when it comes down to it, though, most of these patients are going to have some benign but very annoying form of headache migraine tension headache or cluster headache some combination therein does it matter to you all which one it is once i ruled out emergency and i kind of decided that i'm not pursuing a workup it doesn't matter to me i just call maybe cluster headaches. if i really think it's cluster then i'll say okay let's slap some o2 on you and uh kind of reevaluate your medications and make sure you're not on something like nitro that can precipitate it but that's about it. What is it going to take for you to say, yeah, that does sound like a cluster headache? Um, eight to one predilection male to female. So that excludes 50% and uh, nearly excludes 50%. Um, usually it's unilateral symptoms. Pretty sure that's 12.5%. 12, 12 <laughs> and, uh, you know, so lacrimation on one side, kind of sinusy symptoms on one side, and a history of having this kind of happen before. If it's their first time cluster, I'm just planning on missing it. Yep, I agree. I, I like to make people feel better as well by saying, you know, it does sound like one of these. Uh, patients with aura of some kind, they're like, oh, I had this weird taste in my mouth and then this headache started. Or, you know, I, uh, the big thing that has them concerned is may not be the headache, but it may be I had trouble finding words. 
I couldn't say what I needed to say. And then I just had this awful headache. Well, you know what? That sounds like migraine with aura. It does not sound like brain tumor, subarachnoid hemorrhage, meningitis, all the bad stuff. Like that's what it sounds like. But now you don't have those focal neurosymptoms. They've resolved. Great. You know, it sounds a lot like it. I really think, this is personal opinion, insert turkey here, that um, there is a lot of crossover between seizures and migraine, and it's just a matter of whether you can get that rogue impulse down a motor track or not. Mm. Uh, because there's a lot of similar aura between <clears throat> migraine and seizures. There's a lot of family inheritance uh, with migraine and seizures. So what I tell people is if you've got some weird neuro thing that happened and then you had a headache, eh, that's probably a precursor to your migraine. The only thing some, I think in a benign headache uh, that I sometimes will talk about with a patient is like a complex migraine. When they start getting some weird symptoms that you know this is probably benign and you really can't put it in a bad headache, but you're like, this isn't just a normal headache because yeah. you had this, you know, most likely it's a complex migraine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do talk to patients about that and that those symptoms could be, you know, I got some right finger numbness and my left foot's mm-hmm. tingling and my eye twitches. And, and it I, jumps over my shoulder, right. around my elbow, and down my middle finger. Oh, you got MS, or but you right. have a headache, so I don't think it's MS right now. And one of the diagnoses some... that we're set up to miss, you know, right. put that like inflammatory bowel disease and demyelinating disease, probably not set up to catch those. Yeah, if it's their the first, first time, time yeah, you first will time. miss it for sure. So if it's their first comp, first time comp, what I assume to be a complex migraine, they're getting imaged. If they're having focal yeah. symptom of some sort that I'm suspicious is probably complex, they're still getting imaged, or. If they have well-documented stereotypical presentation, mm-hmm. then they're not getting imaged. Yeah. All right. So what does it take for you to declare it a migraine as an emergency doctor? Do you tell people you have migraines? I tell them that it sounds migraineous, kind of like what you were saying, Aaron, when you start to, they get an aura, it's on one side of the head, it's kind of this global thing. You know, they have really severe noise, and I, you know, if they hit, like, all four of those, I can say this is a migraineous headache, but I don't tell them they have migraines. So that's, that's count. I, I lead them down that way, but I, I don't close the door. And not all migraines have auras, so it depends yeah. on where in the brain the, the vascular condition is occurring. And, um, you know, a lot of uh, people will have recurrent stereotyped headaches, and you know, initially I thought, oh, this, I mean, because of that, it must be migraines. And then, you know, I'll do an exam and I'll talk to them about some other stuff. And I'm like, this, now it's starting to sound tension and I'll start pushing on the, their back. And I'm like, oh, you just got recurrent tension headaches. The end of the day, I don't know if it really matters matter. because the things that help treat a tension headache will also help with migraines and vice versa. Yeah. So I'll say, I agree that it doesn't matter to us. Um, what I usually tell them is if you've got, uh, I don't know if you have migraines, but it sure sounds like it. You know who would know? A neurologist. Mm-hmm. And they're not here today. Mm-hmm. And they won't be here today. Headaches so, are the rash of the brain. Yeah. Not only good ones and bad ones. And the specialist <laughs> will be able to tell the difference. You have to say that again more slowly because that was amazing. <laughs> Headaches are the rash of the brain. Because our job with rashes is good or bad. I'm not sure. Go see a dermatologist. Wow. That is that is manifold wisdom right there. <laughs> Man. 
Um, yeah, what I tell them is you need to go see a neurologist because A, they're going to be more interested in your headache than I am. <laughs> um, because I just need to get you feeling better. Um, B, they probably are better equipped to prevent your headaches from coming. And, uh, you know, C, they will follow you and you can have somebody that the same person, not different emergency doctors every single time saying, here's my cocktail. Here's what I like. Oh, no, no, I don't like that. I use this one instead. Um, instead, you've got multiple different physicians or, or you've got one physician who's going to be managing your headache. Uh, so I like to just give them a little carrot of like, if you want to know for sure, you got to go see the specialists, go see the specialists and see what they can get you. Um, now, if someone has self-proclaimed migraines, uh, I heard someone say this when I was in medical school of it's not certainly a migraine unless you've had a CT, unless you've had imaging and an LP. Oh. How do y'all feel about imaging or LPs? And then once all that stuff has been done, yeah, you got migraines. I mean, I pain. rarely do LPs. I rarely do LPs too. Um, imaging, I think, uh, I tell patients, if you've had recurrent severe headaches that could be migraines, you need at least one baseline image of your head. And if today's the day, then we'll do it. Yeah. I don't I, think you need that to make the diagnosis. I asked the same questions that Aaron, you were alluding to before, was if you've if you are saying this is a migraine, okay, have you been imaged before? Have you seen a neurologist? And what is the frequency and the typical type of headache that you have? And what are your treatments you've been doing for it? So in a sense, you're getting a headache history from them based on why they're saying this is their self-proclaimed migraine. Why is this my typical migraine? So trying to tease that out is is how I'd approach it. And I'll go one further and say, what is it in a patient who has migraines that makes you say, you know what, I'm worried about you. Uh, I'm worried about this headache. Because you come in for headaches a lot. Or maybe you don't come in for headaches. And, you know, I, I think we do need to do imaging. I think we should do an LP. In somebody who's got migraines at baseline. Focal neurologic deficit. <clears throat> yeah. Maybe fever maybe fever in the absence of other stuff, especially if fever plus meningismus, fever plus yeah. you know, encephalopathy. That's a pretty high bar. Mm -hmm. the, the same things that we, you know, I, I do it as the same history I do on a first-time headache, too. It's just mm -hmm. same thing. Mm -hmm. Neck pain, neck stiffness. Can you range your neck? Did you fall? Did you have a fever? You're going through all the same questions. And if they don't have any of them, but they say, oh, it's just really bad, you know, it's the worst I've ever had, to me, that's a useless saying. I mean, I don't, but it's a wommel. Uh, I don't know what to. I mean, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. Worst headache of my life. Of course, because everyone has like three second memory, so they just come in like, oh, I don't ever remember having a headache this bad. Mm -hmm. But today, you ever had it's a headache so before? Never. So then, this is the worst, worst headache, headache of your life, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, sit straight, curl, curl up like a cat. Here comes the needle. <laughs> Um, I do still get a little more concerned when I ask patients about their migraine. I go, so is this the way I phrase it? And phrasing is so important with uh, how you ask these patients, you know, do you have jaw claudication? <laughs> Does it hurt when you chew? <laughs> right. Um, I, I always love when, uh, when someone presents to me and say that a patient endorses something and I kind of want to go in and see like a little patch that <laughs> yes. says, that says uh, photophobia. 
I'm a big proponent of photophobia. Here's a photophobia pamphlet I want to give you. I endorse photophobia. Like, we learned... Stop st- putting endorse in your yeah. notes. It drives me nuts. <laughs> stop, stop saying endorse. I don't know who teaches these people endorse. It's well, I don't know. Just, it's it's They learn it from their friends. They pick it up from their friends. Uh, it's like I, blame the, I blame the internet. Um, uh, no, I... Like, we, we, we have to recognize that we have come from a lineage of physicians who wanted to invent fancy words in Greek and Latin, sometimes mixed, because that makes a whole lot of sense, mm-hmm. uh, and in order to separate ourselves from the peons that we were taking care of. That's honestly where we came from. That's why we use so many weird words that we don't need to use. Mm-hmm. But you spend all this time in medical school learning all of these crazy words, and then you spend the rest of your life learning how to translate that language into English, or whatever your, primary, your patient's primary language is. So please, please speak in plain common sense when you're talking to people. And what I will ask them is, uh, is this similar to previous headaches, but just way worse? Yeah, it was, it, that's why you came to the ER, it was way worse. And if they say, no, this is different. All right, tell me what's different about it. Well, normally it's on my left temple and it shoots down to my right eye. This one was on my right temple and shoots to my left eye. Nothing about that screams subarachnoid hemorrhage, brain tumor, and meningitis. But if they say, this headache, I was feeling perfectly fine this morning, and I got in my car, I turned my key, and suddenly it felt like someone hit me over the head with a two-by-four, and what are your headaches normally like? I get migraines that start and kind of brew over several days. All right, so this really, I, maybe I should ignore the migraine mm-hmm. in this case. Mm-hmm. It has to be fairly striking. Uh, because as Brian talked about when we did subarachnoid hemorrhage, you've got all the Hunt-Hess classifications for right. a- uh, aneurysms, some of which are like, yeah, there might be like a pixel out of place there, and so we're not going to coil you. We're looking for stuff we can do something about in the ER. I-, I feel terrible when I find something that I'm like, well, prepare to be worried for the rest of your life now because we found a little pixel out of place on mm-hmm. a CT scan. So all this leads up to how you're going to treat these patients. And unfortunately, we're going to have to save that for another time, maybe over drinks, as we discuss all of our own personal headache cocktails. <laughs>